love post-credit scenes. Anyone else like that? A handful of you? Marvel, of course, has done a really good job making a habit of including post-credit scenes in their movies. A post-credit scene is intended to wrap up the loose ends from the main story and then to set the stage for what's going to happen next. They're a good reminder that even though the main story might be over, there's always something else out there. There's always another story or another event that's probably about to take place. And that idea is a good reminder for us here at Rooftop this morning. Because we are so very close to being done with our extended series on the book of Romans. For the past almost two years, we have been walking through this letter from an early Christian named Paul. And as we've walked through Romans, we've, we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot about God. We've learned a lot about his son Jesus. We've learned that Christ Jesus came into the world to save us from our sins so that we can have eternal life with him. We've learned a lot in Romans. And in the past several weeks, we have been talking about the very end of Romans, Romans chapters 15 and 16. And as we have been in these chapters, it's become increasingly clear that we are at the end of our journey. In fact, two weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy even talked to us about the credits in Romans, that long list of names that people, uh, of people Paul was mentioning. We've even had credits. The end is near. In other words, the situation that we are facing today is a lot like being at the end of a movie. The main story is done, the credits are rolling, and we might be tempted to tune things out, to think about what's next, to wonder what we're going to have for lunch. But pay attention, because you don't want to miss the lessons from our post-credits scene. So, look with me at Romans 16. Verses 20 through 24, our post-credit scene this morning. Paul writes, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus greet you. Like our opening video clip from this morning, our passage today has two distinct parts. There is the post-credit scene, and then there are also just more credits. There are more names that we're looking at. And our post-credit scene takes place in verse 20, and it contains our big idea for this morning, the idea that God wins. And we're going to spend a whole lot of time looking at that in just a minute. But first, I want us to pay a little bit of attention to verses 21 through 23. Pay attention to our credits. And as we turn to the credits, a natural question to ask is, why do we care about the credits? Now, I'm actually a little bit of a nerd, and so I really like credits. Anybody else out there like credits? All right, a couple fellow nerds. Way to go, Stevens. Thank you. 
I love listening to the soundtrack that comes during the credits. I actually like looking for kind of unique names that may appear in the credits. Uh, I like looking for people that I may know. I had a friend who was in a movie when I was younger, and uh, I got in trouble for putting my face right up against the glass of the TV looking for his name as it scrolled by. I love credits. And the credits of Scripture, like we have in Romans 16, are important for a variety of reasons, including the historical information that they give us. The ends of Paul's letters are actually filled with all sorts of tidbits about the history of early Christianity. So let's look at these credits and see what we can learn from them. Verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. The lesson here is that it's dangerous to go alone. Paul as he writes and he preaches and he teaches, he's not doing it by himself. He has his dear friend Timothy who's there to help him, and he has some extended family who are bringing him encouragement and support as he does his work. Paul continues in verse 22. He says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. And the lesson here is that Paul didn't write Romans. Sort of, but not quite. You see, Tertius was a guy, was something called an amanuensis. There's your $10 word for the, mor the morning, everyone. Amanuensis. An amanuensis is a scribe, someone who writes down words at someone else's direction. And amanuensises were pretty common in the ancient world because not as many people could read or write. And Paul actually used an amanuensis in some of his other letters as well. And so Tertius is the amanuensis. He's the person writing down what Paul is telling him to write down for Romans. And a good way to think about it is this. If Paul is the director of Romans and the Holy Spirit is the uh, executive producer, then Tertius is the screenwriter. Right? He's writing down things at Paul's direction. Continue with verse 23. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Now, we don't actually know a whole lot about Cordus, uh, but we do know some things about Gaius and Erastus. Gaius seems to have been a pretty wealthy Christian in the Corinthian church. Remember, Paul is writing from this city in Greece called Corinth. Gaius seems to have been pretty well off. He's mentioned in a couple other New Testament letters, and uh, he was wealthy enough that he had a house that could probably fit about 100 people in it. So a pretty good-sized house, because this is where the church meets. It meets in his house. Similarly important was Erastus. Erastus was a government official for the city of Corinth. And actually, Erastus is very interesting, because if you go to Corinth today, you can actually see Erastus's name on an inscription called the Erastus Inscription. Maybe. Uh, okay, if, trust me. If you go to Corinth, you can see Erastus' name um, on one of the projects that he uh, paid for as the city treasurer. Right? And so as... There it is. Look at that. <laughs> and so as Paul is writing his letter to the Romans from Corinth, he's actually working with some fairly important people. And the big lesson from these credits, from these three verses, is, is really one that a lot of us can take to heart. Don't go it alone. 
Don't go it alone. If Paul, this great spreader of Christianity, this guy who is sharing Jesus everywhere all the time, if he's not doing that by himself, why would we think that we should do the things that we ought to be doing by ourselves? The work of the church, and in fact, whatever work that you have to do is far too important for you to strike out alone and by yourself trying to do it. Whether you're leading your family or doing your job or serving at rooftop or in the community, don't go it alone. Find friends to take with you. And, and this is actually one of the reasons that here at Rooftop we really encourage everyone to join a small group. Because small groups are a great way to make sure that you're not going through life alone. I cannot begin to count the number of times that Haley and I have been helped and encouraged by someone in our small group. A few years ago, in fact, uh, when we moved from our apartment to our house, we needed some help. We needed lots of help, actually, because I have a problem. I collect books, and so we needed to move thousands and thousands of books from our second-story apartment to our house. And you know who was there to help? the poor, exhausted members of our small group. They showed up, and my back and I are thankful to this day that they showed up to help us. Do you have people like that in your life? People like Timothy for Paul, or my small group for us, people who are there to help and encourage you through the ups and downs of life. Now, hopefully that brief look at the credits was at least a little interesting. It was hopefully interesting enough to stay for a few minutes at the end of the movie. But credits shouldn't distract us from the main message of a movie, nor should they distract us from the message of a post-credit scene. And the message of our post-credit scene this morning is very simply this. God wins. God wins. In the ongoing battle against sin and death and evil in the world, God is winning and God wins. Look at what Paul has to say about this in Romans 16, 20. He writes, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, that's a short little statement there, but it is rich with meaning. In the first place, we have this seeming oxymoron. The God of peace is going to crush Satan. The God of peace is going to war against this guy named Satan. Now, who is Satan? According to Orthodox Christian theology and what we believe here at Rooftop, Satan is the chief adversary of God. He was a servant of God who rebelled long ago and has spent his time since trying to destroy the things that God is doing. In the ongoing battle between good and evil in the world, Satan is fighting against God, and God is fighting right back. And here in Romans 16.20, Paul makes clear that God's peaceful nature does not excuse him from 
violent, forceful, justice-driven action against Satan. God is going to crush Satan. And presumably, it's not just Satan that God is going to fight against. Last week, Pastor Matt talked about the importance of being wary of false teachers, people who proclaim a false gospel. And Paul here is talking about how God is going to crush Satan, but also those who align themselves with Satan, those who proclaim a false gospel. And so it's really important for us this morning to pause for a second and to consider whose side we're on. Are you on God's side? Are you following the gospel of Jesus? Or are you on Satan's side? Are you following a gospel that has more to do with money or political power or an easy life than it does with Jesus? Whose side are you on? Now, maybe you're someone who thinks, you know what, I don't particularly like this God guy and I certainly don't like this Satan guy. I'm going to stand in the middle. I'm going to be neutral. I can decide later. Paul is very clear elsewhere, there is no such thing as neutrality in this fight. There is no Switzerland in this war. Everybody's involved, and so you got to pick a side. Are you on God's side, or are you on Satan's side? And my challenge to you this morning is, make sure you're on the winning side. Make sure you're on God's side. Make sure that you've given your allegiance to Jesus, and you end up on the winning team. Because the God of peace is going to war. Now, in using the image of uh, God crushing Satan, Paul is actually drawing on uh, a passage of the Bible um, that's very important. It's the first promise in the Bible, which occurs in Genesis 3.15. Genesis, which is the first book of the first part of the Bible, so it's way back towards the start, uh, way towards the beginning. Uh, it's called Genesis, and it's the book of beginnings. And in the beginning, something happened. Satan took the form of a serpent, and he distracted people from their purpose, their purpose of glorifying God. And we silly humans, we fell for the bait, we disobeyed God, and we damaged our relationship with him. In fact, damaged it to the point of breaking it. And Genesis 3.15 talks about uh, the consequences of those actions. And in Genesis 3.15, God says to uh, the serpent, who is Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will will strike his heel. In other words, a descendant of the woman is going to crush the serpent. He's going to crush Satan. And Christians have long recognized that this is a promise about what Jesus did on the cross, that Satan would wound him through his death, but that Jesus would overcome and crush Satan through his death and through his resurrection. And for Paul here, uh, for Paul here, this promise is the key. 
And it's uh, a key known as the Proto-Evangelion. There is your second $10 word for the day. Isn't your pastor a nerd? The Proto-Evangelion. Then that just means the first expression of the good news. That is, in Genesis here, this passage that Paul is very consciously using, we hear the good news of Jesus for the first time, that God is going to defeat Satan. He's going to wipe him out, and he's going to destroy death and sin in the process. Now, uh, I grew up on a farm, and uh, growing up on a farm, uh, you encounter a lot of snakes. It's just part of the job. Um, and actually, much to my mother's displeasure, we would actually often catch and keep snakes in our house. Don't worry, they only got out a couple of times. It wasn't a big deal. And so uh, snakes are good. Snakes take care of the mice. They help with the bugs. They're, snakes in general on a farm are okay. Uh, but there was one kind of snake that was not okay, and that was the eastern Massasauga rattlesnake. This guy right here. This is the only venomous snake indigenous to the part of Michigan that we lived in. And while most snakes were okay, uh, my dad uh, talked to me about this particular snake, and he made it very clear that this snake uh, was bad news. This snake was not okay. And in fact, if I ever saw this snake, it needed to die. There are kids running around the farm. There are animals. This guy is up to no good. He needs to go. And the preferred method of uh, extermination was snake shot. But if you didn't have snake shot, Dad showed me what you're supposed to do if you run into one of these guys. You gotta crush his head. And that is what Paul is saying here about the serpent. God is gonna crush his head. God wins. Yay, yes, exactly. That's good news. God wins. Here at the end of Romans, we are reminded about this promise from the very beginning that God is going to crush Satan and he is going to rid the world of evil. Now, Paul isn't making this reference to Genesis 3 as an afterthought. This isn't something he forgot about in his, in his letter to the Romans until the very end. Oh, yeah, i got to mention Satan, right? He's not doing that. For Paul, this is a succinct way of referencing the grand story that all of the Bible tells, a story that goes something like this, that in the beginning, God created the universe, and that Satan came in and brought death and distortion and destruction to the world in what is commonly called the fall. And that after a period of waiting, God sent his son to redeem the world from that fall, to get rid of the power of Satan. And that through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, Satan's reign has ended. And that one day, one day, Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to restore creation to its former glory, and he's going to get rid of Satan forever. And that's the story that Paul is referencing here in Roman, in Roman 16. That's the story that he wants us to be aware of. God is redeeming the world, and it's going to happen soon. The God of peace will soon 
crush Satan under your feet. Now, for Paul, this isn't a reference to uh, that he thinks Jesus is coming back right away. He's not saying, oh, Jesus is going to come back on such and such a day in two and a half years. No, it's a reference to the hope that Christians have always had, that God is coming soon, that Jesus is coming back, and he's, when he does, he's going to defeat death. Now, I need uh, to confess something to you this morning. Um, for me, at least, it does not always seem like God is winning in this war against Satan. Sometimes it actually seems like the very opposite, that Satan is winning the war for the world. And this week has been one of those weeks because last Sunday, a friend of mine was killed in a helicopter accident. And he left his wife and his small child and his baby behind. And he was not yet 30 years old. Kyle was one of the most God-loving, God-honoring, hard-working, principled people that I have ever met. And he is gone. For seemingly no reason at all, he's gone. And it doesn't seem like the God of peace is crushing anyone under his feet. What about you? What is the helicopter accident that you are trying to make sense of in your life? Where does it seem like your world is falling apart? Maybe it's your marriage. Or your kids. Maybe it's your job. Or your finances. Maybe it's your faith. The God of peace is going to crush Satan in that area of your life, too. Amidst our suffering and sadness, there isn't actually any doubt about how the story is going to end. Good is going to triumph over evil. God wins because Jesus is the serpent crusher. And even when our world seems like it's falling apart, it is that hope. It is that expectation. It is that prayer that we can cling to when things seem terrible. And this actually leads us to what I think is the most encouraging part of this post-credit scene. The words your feet. As in, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, under our feet. Because of the grace of Christ, we get to be part of the Satan-crushing process. 
It's kind of like when your favorite baseball team wins a championship after having to wait for 108 years. It's actually like any sports championship. On any championship team, right, you may celebrate it, but you didn't do anything. You, the fan, you didn't meaningfully contribute to what happened, but you get to be part of the victory. You get to celebrate and go to the parade and watch the games and enjoy the win. And that's exactly what God is doing here. Jesus is the serpent crusher, but we get to be part of the victory. Pastor Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, Satan suffers defeat each time someone believes in God. Each time a follower of God obeys him. Each time the people of God come together in worship. God wins and we get to be part of it. Church, hear this post-credit scene today. The God of peace is going to soon crush Satan under your feet. God wins. Because of Jesus, God wins. Even when life sucks, God wins. And along with Paul and Timothy and Tertius and millions of other people throughout history, we get to be part of that victory. So what do we do? How do we respond to this good news? How do we respond to the fact that God wins? I have three suggestions for us this morning. The first is to trust in God. Your life might be falling apart right now. God might seem very distant from you. You might not have any idea what's going on. Don't give up on God. Don't give up. Be patient. Wait for him. Trust in him. He is winning, and he will win. The second thing we can do is to patiently wait for God. The times that we want things to happen and the time when things will happen that are best for us are very often not the same thing. If I, as a father, gave my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Bree, what she wanted when she wanted it, she would be an insufferable human being who everyone hates. And the same thing is true with our relationship with our father. We have to learn to be patient. And patience is hard. I know because I don't have any. But we have to live in that hope, the hope that God will soon crush Satan. So patiently wait for God. And third, we can rejoice in God. We can rejoice that God is crushing Satan. We can rejoice in what Jesus has done. We can rejoice in what God has done in the past and is doing now and is going to do in the future. And this is, in fact, one of the reasons that we gather together as a church on Sunday mornings to together worship God, to rejoice in what he is doing. And we're going to do that together in just a moment here. But before we worship, I want to again say, make sure you are on the winning team. Join the God of peace as he goes to war against Satan. Join Jesus.
The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, rooftop. God wins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the Satan crusher. Thank you for defeating sin, death, and the devil through the power of Jesus on the cross. And thank you for making us part of your victory. Father, thank you for giving us hope in the midst of dark days. Thank you for sending your Son to redeem and restore our world, even in the days and weeks it seems irredeemable. Father, we lift up those who are here today who aren't on the winning side. May they run to you. May they not be distracted from joining the winning team. Father, thank you for Rooftop, for this community where we can join together so that we don't have to go it alone. Give us the wisdom to come alongside each other in love as we face life's ups and downs together. Lord, bring comfort and peace to those who are hurting. Crush Satan under your people's feet. Crush him today. Crush him this week. Crush him always. And may we trust and be patient and rejoice in your holy name as you, the God of peace, crush Satan under our feet.